Welcome back to Hannah and Helms. Woohoo! Another episode. How are we doing this week? Doing pretty good. Excited to be on seven weeks. Uh, consistency is king or queen. Yes. And queen and yes. king and, and, and. And everything. Yeah, I'm so excited that we are doing this and that we're still here. I'm so happy and proud of us. Yes, and it, and it's harder for you because you've got to drive down here, and I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Oh, well, you're so welcome. I'm glad to be here. Well, we talked a little bit yesterday about a show that you were watching. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So I found this documentary on HBO kind of just browsing yesterday. It's called One Nation Under Stress, and I think you said you can also find it on Amazon Prime. Very informative, lots of different perspectives, and this came out in 2018, so some of this information is going to be a little outdated now that we are into 2021, but... I mean, a lot of these studies have been um, longitudinal studies over the years, so they're still going to apply. But I thought one of the really coolest things in this, or just not cool, but interesting, was that chronic stress, did you know this? Chronic stress can reduce the mass, the size of your brain. That's all we need to know is one more thing that can make something smaller on our bodies, especially at my age. No, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely terrifying. Chronic stress actually reduces the size because when you have stress, the synapses start disconnecting and over time, they basically kind of just shrivel. And through meditation and mindfulness and things like that, you can, I think, uh, I don't know the clinical term, but kind of light that area back up again. But your stress, chronic stress literally reduces the size of your brain. And a lot of it is, um, can't be, like, can't be undone, which is crazy. That is crazy. And knowing that meditation is something good and something I did for quite a while, a couple of years ago, I think I might be jumping back into it again because I don't want that to shrivel and I want to see those synapses doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So through meditation, exercise, mindfulness, these are just some of the examples they gave. It helps to regrow those synapses. So it's not going to be a cure-all, but I think there's also a lot of other things that you know, go along with meditation or mindfulness that are going to help relieve stress. So you're not going to be able to regrow your entire brain after years of chronic illness, but you able you are able to, you know, kind of have um, not a cure, but what's the word help, I'm looking for? A, a help, yeah, a, a bandaid. Well, it, it sounds like too that maybe there's more than one way to decrease stress. There's games I like to play on my phone that just totally chill me out and relax me. And sometimes I feel guilty for doing those things, but maybe I shouldn't feel guilty. Maybe it's time to take that de-stress moment, get my brain to relax and, and reset it. For sure. And I think that's a great way to look at it because we both of us have had chronic stress. So I mean, I am scared to like see a brain scan because my brain has got to be a lot smaller than it was when I was in high school. And it's specifically the area of your brain that is... Um, affected is your prefrontal cortex. So it um, it affects your emotion center, which means that your empathy when you're stressed actually goes down, which is a, even you like your head, you're like, whoa, light bulb moment. When you're stressed, your empathy goes down. And think about how many people in the US are so stressed out and how low our empathy is for others when we're on a stressful moment. That makes total sense because you think about that. We talked about fight flight, response, appease. And I think you go inward when the stress happens because all of a sudden you become protective of yourself, not knowing that. So that animal inside starts to take over. And, and again, I wonder if it's 
that limbic system is being hijacked also because if you're going to that prefrontal frontal cortex and then is it going to eventually make it to the frontal cortex too i don't know if they talked about that so they did they talk about how you when you're in a stressful moment a continued stressful moment you go to your primitive brain and you're just survive so it's exactly your limbic system gets hijacked and you go into survive mode primitive brain which means now you're starting to use more of your cortical steroids and other hormones and it becomes a a vicious cycle. Yeah. I mean, did you know that when you have a stress trigger, your body starts shutting off tissue repair and tissue growth and your metabolic rate is just completely out of whack because your body is sending energy to your thighs to run away. Isn't that crazy? Yes. And like, that's, that's the, 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 your survival response. Like yeah. if you have to run away from, if you're a jackal running away from a lion, that is what you need your body to do. But when you're sitting there thinking about taxes or COVID-19 and your body starts sending energy to your thighs, like that is not an adaptive response now, but this is what our bodies do. And we have so much stress. Our, our body doesn't know what to do. So it just says, Hey, I'm going to help you survive. Yes. That sympathetic, sympathetic response is something that's killing us as humans, whether it's physically doing that or mentally doing that, because it's telling our body we're constantly in stress. But like you said, we're stressed over COVID or we're stressed over taxes. That's not going to kill us. But no. yet some of us have decided that that's going to kill us. So we have that, that body response. And it's something to delve into deeper about how to change that also. I don't know if they talked about that, but go on more with what else you've learned from that episode. Well, you can't. So to um, comment on that, you can't um, like we can't change our trauma response or our um, our stress response like that is just the way it is. Hopefully in, I don't know, a few hundred years, our human race will have adapted to, I mean, I think it'd be really cool if we could have like a different stress response and our brain could identify between like a tax, you're stressed about taxes or, you know, a car coming out in front of you. So you do need to have those quick reflexes or like you do need to run away from a lion. I think that would be so cool. I'm looking forward to, I mean, we won't be alive, but <laughs> I look forward to the future for those um, individuals who will be able to experience the adaptations of the amazing human body. I'm, I'm going to jump in maybe a little off topic, okay. but think about cannabis okay, and, and where it's been with this war on drugs. It's been since the sixties that they didn't want people using cannabis, but yet we've got cannabinoid receptors in our body. Yeah. A whole cannabinoid system in our body that no one talks about, um, like the nervous system or the endocrine system there. We have a cannabinoid system in our body with receptors that even medical doctors, they're not even taught about in school. They have no idea. They have to get this information on their own. It's a whole system in our body that our government is not teaching us about. Well, and we've used cannabinoids before. Hundreds of years, thousands of years. Research has shown that cannabis can help to calm you down. It will take over those receptors and it will be beneficial. It'll, it's going to be amazing as they start to do more research on cannabis and its products, the CBD, the THC, um, CBG, CBG that Noah just told us about. So yeah, we're talking about it now. So so we've got to see more studies come out of this this medicine, this plant that grows natural, and that it is part of our brain system. So it's going to be interesting to see if that's something that will help out and help change our stress response to be more efficient. Oh, that would be so amazing. There are amazing, really informative studies that show how. Um, cannabis and the receptors can help with anxiety. I mean, I think one of the biggest things people know about 
kind of mixes. It helps with like glaucoma or nausea for chemotherapy patients. But anxiety is like a big deal with cannabis because your brain starts um, overflowing with chemicals and hormones when you're having like an anxiety or a panic attack. And what cannabis does is don't ask me the specific ones because I'm still I have no idea. But what it does is it helps lower those chemicals or bring them more to a balance. So when you're having an anxiety attack and you have medical marijuana or medical cannabis or, you know, whatever the form is, it helps not only for um, your stress, but it can help for so many different things in your body. Yeah, that's something we need. And, and we don't need those chemicals, too, because I think you were talking earlier about Oxycontin or, or something that you had some good information there about. Yeah. So in this documentary, just which is so crazy in the U.S. So this came out in 2018. In the U.S., we had four to seven percent of the world population. But in the United States, we we're using 80 to 90 percent of the world's Oxycontin and hydrocodone use. Can you believe that? Like, let's say 5%. We hold 5% of the world's population and we're using 80% of the world's Oxycontin hydrocodone usage. And we know that this state has a high use. Super high use of painkillers in Utah. Really high, especially Utah County, which is where we live. Right. Yeah, so there's there's something going on. And, and we know that. That's why we're having a podcast to, to talk about these things. So a conversation for another time is is cannabis and how it works and what but using real studies studies that have been used recently to see how that is and uh time for me to do some research this week yes that would be an amazing super cool episode so just along with the hydrocodone thing another thing that um they talked about in this documentary is this is a new clinical term called um deaths of despair and a death of despair like they will put this on um, an autopsy report now a death of despair could be a liver cirrhosis, which is um, alcohol poisoning, um, drug overdose, or suicide. And so they will put that on an autopsy report. And they started doing this, I think, um, Cyril Wecht. I don't know if I pronounced his last name right. But he um, is a coroner. <laughs> he is a coroner. Um, and out of his 500 autopsies that he does a year, about 300 are deaths of despair, which is just so crazy over half of the autopsies he does are deaths of despair and he thinks he's trying to make the argument for the cause of death should be stress because he gave the example there was this 19 year old girl who came in 19 and she had sh shot herself and he wanted to put on the autopsy report deaths of despair death caused by stress but he can't do that. You can't say death caused by stress. But it's become such an epidemic. Like you can just Google epidemic of despair and you will so many things will come up. And yet it's like people are not talking about stress or the effect that it has on your body. Like we just mentioned, you have a bunch of energy going to your thighs and the size of your brain over time is literally reducing because of stress. And we're not doing anything about it except prescribing painkillers and medication in the United States, which is, I think, a disgrace. Do they distinguish between stress and despair or how stress causes despair? Yes. So stress and deaths of despair or stress and despair are going to be different because long-term stress, chronic stress is going to turn into 
um, despair. So if you have just have normal stress, you're not going to be um, going to that level of despair because you have more of like a, a homeostasis. Whereas if you have chronic stress and it's returning and it keeps coming back and coming back, you are more likely to go to that despair point. So stress and despair are different, but stress leads to despair. Gotcha. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And something too, they, they, they try not to even say you committed suicide, but it was death by suicide. Yes, now. So they're, under, suicide, they're understanding yeah. now that there's something deeper. So it's the same thing as you're saying, you know, death by despair, death from stress. I don't remember yeah. exactly how you said it, but it was very profound. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Um, it's a lot of information. And I think if you're listening to this, you could just kind of almost be getting overwhelmed, especially if you're a stressful person, because you're getting all of this information maybe you haven't had before. But hopefully, um, you'll understand that you're not alone with this stress. And if you do have chronic stress, like you can regrow parts of your brain. You know, you can do things to limit that stress, even if you are in the high stress category, which is white middle class in the United States. And they in this documentary, they use this example of I don't remember the type of monkeys, but the um, neuroscientist who did this study, his name is Robert Sapolsky, and he did a study on all of these monkeys and they basically have a hierarchy kind of like a pack there's monkeys at the top and there's monkeys in the middle and monkeys at the bottom and they um over time did a study on these monkeys and it's the monkeys who are kind of in the middle not the low not the high the monkeys who could go up or down they are the ones who have the most stress and so some of those uh, monkeys even had chronic stress. Like, can you imagine a monkey having chronic stress because he's worried about like going up in the hierarchy or going down in the hierarchy? And they relate it to middle class America. You are more likely to go down than you are up. And the fear is terrifying. And they give the example of like, what do you do to make um, a poor person feel poor? You show them everything they don't have. Commercials, ads. You can't even scroll through Facebook or Instagram without, you know, um, a makeup ad for me or or I don't know, a microphone ad, something like you have to have this. And we're going to make you feel poor in America, middle white class. And, and everything is driven towards that, too. It's it's driven towards you can have this if you do this. And it's back to it's back to body positivity instead of enjoying what you have and taking care of what you have. We have to get someplace else. Yeah, that's like that's the toxic belief in America is that you are not enough. You have to keep working. You have to keep working harder and gaining more. You can't just be happy with who you are or where you're at. And they just basically I say they as in society and big pharma and all the big corporations who want you to feel like you are not enough. They throw these things at us constantly, no matter where we're going. Billboards, you know, ads on even podcasts or Spotify or whatever, like you're constantly being bombarded with this. And imagine how it affects your stress when you're just driving to work and you see a billboard that says liposuction. Like that's one of the big things in Utah is Sonobello or like, you know, all those stupid fat I don't know what they do, like fat shooting, fat sucking, whatever it is. It's just ridiculous in Utah. And also there's ads for painkillers or like prescriptions when you're driving on the freeway in Utah County. Watching TV, they're there. They're telling you what you tell your doctor to get instead of just letting your doctor. Yeah, 
Did you know that the United States is the only country in the world that has ads for medication? Disgusting. TikTok has a, a plastic surgeon doctor on it. And they were showing removing fat from this woman who was not, did not have very much fat and then taking it and then putting it into her breast. I had never seen that before. What? So you said that. And again, we're always looking for that perfect shape, that perfect person, which leads to stress, which leads now to brain shrinkage, which, okay, what happens if your brain starts to shrink? Well, there's all these other diseases you can get. Right. Alzheimer's, you can get dementia, just having problems with short-term or long-term memory. Yeah, I feel like I have short-term memory loss when I'm stressed. Like, even just in the last couple of weeks, there are lots of things that, like conversations that I have with my sister-in-law that I can't remember the details of because while we were talking, in the other side of my mind, I am stressing. And it goes back to that. We both have like two voices in our brain. We've got an inner voice that is constantly stressing or telling us something. And we have another voice that just kind of goes out and does things with the world. So, so scary to have the stress that we do in this country. Oh, yeah. We were, we had a friend over for, for breakfast the other morning and she showed me her tattoo and Twilight's like, you've seen her tattoo before I've sent it to you. And I said, I don't remember her ever getting a tattoo. And she's like, it was during that time that you were so stressed out. I swear to you, I don't remember. I've never seen that tattoo. And she's like, you've seen the tattoo because I've sent you the picture. Yeah. Stress will do that to you. Gone. Another thing that stress will do to you is cause rage. Um, they, in this documentary, they had an example. They had um, two monkeys and this study was done by Franz Duvall. Um, he has, I don't know where his PhD is. I wrote down the PhD, but I didn't write down the school. He did a, um, a study with two monkeys and they're both like in two different cages and they have a tech feeding them cucumbers and grapes. So they start out feeding both of the monkeys a cucumber and they have, the monkeys have to give the tech a rock. And then their reward is they get a cucumber. Well, after a few of those, a few of the monkeys handing the rock to the tech and then getting a cucumber as a reward, the tech starts handing a grape to one of the monkeys and they can see each other. They're right next to each other. And so the, what, the one monkey that is getting the cucumber, he like hands that rock to the lady, to the tech, and she hands a cucumber to the monkey right after she just gave a grape to monkey two. Monkey one literally like has the cucumber in his hand throws it back at her through the cage and then starts pulling on the cage doors. Like you can see immediately that rage, that frustration. He sees the inequality happening and then keep doing it. And the, the rage and the frustration escalates. And they talk about how there are, you know, certain experiences of stress that do the same things to us. When you see a period and a level and continued inequality in your own life, you get frustrated you get um you have rage you get really angry and i one of the most profound quotes from just like a kind of an average joe in this and he says when you feel helpless you get angry i think that is just so profound when you are helpless when you feel helpless you get angry it's it's back to those animal instincts it's those primitive primitive instincts that are trying to protect us and it's that passive aggressive syndrome. I always say I'm very passive. Uh, I guess it's passive, assertive, aggressive. Yeah. I'm always passive. I'm more passive than aggressive, but I usually jump right past assertive and go right to aggression. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that. 
but of course, back to saying my therapist, <laughs> it's, it's okay to get angry sometimes. Yeah. I mean, anger is a strong emotion and anger is a, when I say strong, I want to say like a, sur- a survival emotion, you know, when you, um, are scared or you're hurt. Anger is an easier emotion for your body to produce. And if you feel safer when you're angry than when you do, you're in pain. I mean, I think that's obvious. You'd rather be angry with someone than admit that they hurt you. And stress is basically causing us to just be angry. Like for a lot of people, you either go into deaths of despair, you go into a despair on the spectrum. If there is a spectrum, we'll we'll put despair on one side and anger on the other. And you're kind of on this stress spectrum, like, you know, where do you fall? How do you change this spectrum right now in America? Yeah. And this is the thing I'm trying to do for 2021 is sit and listen more. If Hannah comes at me and she's yelling and screaming and she's all mad, is she really mad at me or what's going on? Well, we, we all can get upset, but I would never yell or scream. I'd be communicative. Okay. And that's, and that's even better too. And communicative is a problem in our society. Like if we use the word argument, people think, well, you can't have arguments. It's like the true definition of the word argument is just to have a discussion right. that might get heated. And it's, it's okay if we do that, but we need to look and see, is that person directing it towards me? Or is that person saying, this is what's making me mad. Hear me. Right. And I think that comes from the level of inequality in this country because you feel defensive. You know, you feel like you have to win or prove a point. And I think like what you said was very accurate when you say an argument, people perceive it as a negative thing. When I think of an argument, like I, I feel like we have arguments on this podcast and we are informing each other and coming to a new perspective because we're both bringing different information. I kind of relate it to a debate. You both have to bring information and you're trying to um, kind of come to a conclusion. And that's what we're doing with this podcast. We're just bringing information in. But if you feel like you are constantly in a competition, which we are in this country, then there's no like winning. There's no end point. You're just kind of stuck in this everlasting stress competition. Right. And it's it's so funny you say that because we watch the we both watch the, the great British baking show. Yes. And when you watch that, you see the people struggle and, and the Brits, they turn around, they help them. Yes. And then we're watching this glass blowing one. And this one guy is brilliant. He's amazing. And he's the best one in the shop and he knows it. And he's in there sabotaging people. But yet he is the best there. And it's just Ugh. it's just like be competitive. But. You don't show up to a soccer game or a football game to go to war. You show up to compete. Right. The other team wants you to bring your best, not try to kill them physically, but try to kill them tactically. Right. In the laws of the game. That's why I had to stop coaching because people didn't realize it's not about tripping and kicking and biting and hitting. It's a it's a matter of juking the socks off of them or taking that shot it's or doing that. Winning pass. at all costs. What does that mean? I mean, I'm I'm that's facetious. Yeah. It's uh, dumb. I think winning at all costs, do you really need to win? I mean, let's go back to the great British baking show example. Um, I think it was Martha, like one of the earlier seasons, she was having a hard time finishing like, and they had like 30 seconds left. And there's, I think it was Paul, the architect who always had the pencil in his ear. Um, if I get these, no, Peter, if I get I, these I names, Paul's right. Paul, okay, Paul, he, um, he had already finished and he had like 30 seconds left. And so he runs over and he's helping Martha and she's like, can you just break these and put them on? 
I think that is sportsmanship. That is what a team or a competition should look like because personally, I wouldn't want to win with a finished product knowing that the person next to me might have been better, but they didn't get to finish. But if I help them finish then and I win, then I'm like, hell yeah, I won because I had the best product or I had the best whatever or I did whatever, you know. But when we're going into sabotage people or we're thinking we have to win at all costs, then it becomes a game, a competition. And it's not for fun. It's not for sportsmanship. It's not to learn or to exercise if you're doing sports. It's we have to win and we're going to do whatever we have to do to win. And then imagine how much stress that would just cause doing what feeling the pressure to do whatever you have to do to win or, you know, to reach that end goal. That's terrifying. Yeah. I've been a soccer coach that's lost 16 to nothing and been very excited for my team. Okay. That's not true. It wasn't 16, nothing. We lost 16 to nothing the first time. The next year I said, don't let them score nine. Okay. And they scored the ninth goal with one minute left. Oh, that was just cut it. But one minute left. Well, that we were excited. We were screaming. Yeah. The, the other school, this was in Iowa. The other school, they were like, we're excited for you too. You just cut that margin in half. They were the state champs. The, the, so the year before, the awesome. girls the girls couldn't play in the state championship. This next year was the first year for state champs. That team won the state championship. They only beat us 9 nothing. We were the bottom of the bucket. That next year, we weren't the bottom of the bucket. We were third place. Woo! So those girls understood that they came to compete. They knew that they weren't the best out there and they right. couldn't beat the school that was number one, but they were going to compete with every school that they came across. That was very low stress on the kids, right? very low stress on the coach, very low stress on the athletic director, the principals, everything. And it was an amazing season. And this is 20 something years ago and we're all still really good friends. That's awesome. And and it, it all comes back to what you were talking about. I mean, the first thing I thought about is when we come to compete, it's going to be something stressful, but it needs to be a good stress, a stress that we a put on. A healthy stress, yeah. a stress that propels us. I, to be better. Right. That's what I was thinking when you said they cut it in half, the margin in half. How good does that feel to know that you have, I don't want to say bettered yourself, but you've learned more. You've, you know, you've, you've, you've accomplished something. I was going to say you've grown. What's the word? What's the past tense? You grew. You grew. You grown. Yeah. No, that's 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 the whole thing when it comes to the game. There's going to be a game next week, and you have to figure out how to do it. And winning too. I don't want to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Super Bowl without Tom Brady being there. I don't want to beat the Kansas City Chiefs without Patrick Mahomes being there. I don't want to knock the best out because I want to beat the best. If that team doesn't have their best players out there. Oh, hey, nice game. Thanks yeah. for the practice. Good job. Can we have another game, please, when your best player's out there? I want to shut the best player down while he or she is playing. And that's what I taught my kids. It makes me think of the Queen's Gambit when she has the option to tie with, um, I'm not going to say who if you haven't seen it, but she has the option to tie and she basically decides, no, like I, you are the best and I tied with you. I know I can do better. I'm going to give myself time to learn more and to practice. And I don't want to say the ending, but yeah. That's cool. So another really cool thing in this documentary is what they call the Hispanic paradox. And before I explain that, I kind of want to back up a little bit to this thing called the Rosetto study, which was done in Pennsylvania. And this is an Italian American immigrant community. They are super close knit and their heart disease death rate is almost non-existent. 
which at the time they were doing this study, heart disease or heart attacks was the number one killer in the United States. And so they came to this um, this little community in Pennsylvania and they started doing all these studies on these individuals. Like, what are their health benefits? Like, how are these crazy people not dying of heart disease? So they took their blood and, you know, they had them run on treadmills. They did a bunch of these tests and like there was no conclusive answer. So then they just started observing the community as a whole. And what they realized is that the community had such a strong social cohesion that their stress rate was almost non-existent and almost no one was dying of heart disease. And that relates to, and I think just any stress or any community as individuals, I think just as a human, you have this need or this want to be a part of a community. We are social creatures. And being lonely is one of the biggest um, leaders or like causes of a death of despair is just pure loneliness. And so with the Hispanic paradox, they um, call it this because Hispanic paradox is or Hispanics have the um, lowest, um, uh, I'm sorry, the highest life expectancy rate. Whereas um, white middle class has the lowest expectancy rate and even African-Americans are um, actually their life expectancy is going up and Hispanics have the highest life expectancy rate, which is very new in the last few years. So this came out, like I've said a few for um, a few times, this came out in 2018 and consecutively for the last three years, so it would have been 2016, 17, and 18, the life expectancy for white middle class Americans is going down every year. So I thought that was very interesting and in how um, we are social creatures and how important it is to have a social community or have a social rapport to help you manage the stress. And another thing that they brought up was um, this kind of thing called social Darwinism, is that the least stress adaptive people are dying basically in the face of human psych psychological stressors. And it leads to the belief that so this is um, like a utilitarian belief that if they are less adaptive to these human psychological stressors. It's basically survival of the fittest, which is like a, a huge thing we could go on, right? Doesn't that blow your mind? So crazy. It, it doesn't blow my mind because I'm thinking back about growing up in Southern California and being in Santa Paula with my grandparents and watching the Hispanic community together on a Sunday with the girls in their beautiful traditional dresses, smelling the food that they were <sighs> cooking listening to the mariachi bands and the other bands that were there and just watching pure joy. Yeah, it's a tight-knit community. Yeah. Even just with if it's just one family, they are tight-knit. I'm talking a, a, a family unit. I'm not talking extended or nuclear family. Just, you know, ma, pa, kids. So tight-knit, so um, cohesive with each other. They have the highest life expectancy in the United States compared to all of the white middle-class Americans who I'm pretty positive take up the largest portion of America or the white middle-class, someone correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and we have the lowest life expectancy. And I think it shows how like in the United States, we kind of have an individual um, competitive culture. We, instead of being social um, cohesive, we compete and we create stress for one another. Yeah, win at all costs, lie at all costs. We just saw it in our elections. This, this last year, we've, we've watched that. We've, we've seen these conspiracies come out. We see conspiracies all the time. It's, it's, it's time to de-stress, Hannah. What do you think? Yeah, 
fuck it, fuck the stress. Yeah, we, 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 need to, we need to look inward maybe a little bit more, look at our circle of influence, who are around us, maybe get rid of some that aren't so, so positive and mm-hmm. let them creep in every once in a while, build those, those, those boundaries. walls, those boundaries again, and then bring those people into our circle of influence that are gonna help us to de-stress. And then also take that time to have some personal time. It's okay to have personal time. It's okay to lay in bed for an extra 20 minutes and do nothing, to think about nothing. Take the time to take care of yourself. Right. And I think people assume that's a really radical idea. But back to the documentary, they um, did a, a study. So this same guy, Robert Sapolsky, he was like the monkey, the baboon guy in this one. Um, he had a... Um, I don't know what like a group of monkeys is called a pack a family I don't know a group of a group of baboons he had a group of baboons and um in the oh I think he said troop well, baboon troop. troop um baboon troop so he had let's we'll do baboon troop a and baboon troop b so the one next door to his baboon troop they had a, a garbage jump and though all of the male baboons in that troop were um you know obviously eating all the garbage and stuff so all of the ones from all the males from his troop started to go over there to get food for their troop they're you know the aggressive alpha males and they have to go over there and they're thinking well that food is better than you know the little leaves we're eating over here and there was a tb outbreak so all of the aggressive baboons in both troops died so in troop a the only males that were left or the non-aggressive males, because pretty much every all, all the baboons in the second troop died because of, that was where the TB outbreak started. Um, so the baboon troop that was left was all non-aggressive males, the ones who um, would sit and groom in the morning and actually play with the smaller monkeys. And it only took one generation, one generation of this for all the non-aggressive monkeys in this or baboons in this troop to be gone, non-existent. So within one generation later, there was no aggressive males, no aggressive females. If another aggressive male tried to enter the territory, they basically just wouldn't let it because they're like, nope, we are not aggressive people. and We're not going to let you in, which I think is so cool. Like you just said, can we take that 20 minutes of meditation or mindfulness or, you know, not guilting ourselves about playing on our phones to calm that anxiety attack or to kind of just, you know, take a breather if we all did this. Within one generation, can you imagine the positive impact it would have on our country? Like our children's children would be living in such a different world. And each one of us can do something about it today. Not, you know, tomorrow or in five years. Every single one of us can do something to change the world today by focusing on ourselves, going inward and making sure that we are finding healthy and positive ways to cope with the never ending stress in this world. I agree 100%. And this week, I'm going to make a conscious effort for me to go inward and relax. And we are challenging you, the listener, this week. Find something to help you go inward, whether that's yoga, meditation, playing on your phone, going outside in nature, exercising. We are challenging you to find what that is and let us know. Go to our Instagram. We're going to have a specific post for this and let us know. Maybe you can find new ways, new interesting ways you've never thought of before to decrease that stress and come back to that homeostasis. Don't forget, be happy. (music) 